I think I can say that all of us probably love the zoo, but I think we'd all be a little put off if when you went to the zoo, things didn't show up as you expected. Fact, things aren't showing up as I expect right now in my keynote. Sometimes things don't happen the way we think they should, <laughs> including, including your keynotes. Man. That's why you shouldn't use a keynote, Pastor Rod. I know, I know. Just let me do my thing. When you go to the zoo, God willing, you see the animal that you want to see. You go to the, you know, the, the lion cage, you see a lion. You go to the zebra cage, you see a zebra. You go to the giraffe cage, you see a giraffe. But when this one guy went to the zoo, he went to the zebra cage and he saw what he was pretty sure is a donkey painted like a zebra. So he took a picture and put it online and started getting people to weigh in. News outlets picked it up and they started asking the question, is this really a zebra? They brought in a, a, a zoologist, uh, someone who knows their animals, and they said, well, uh, you know, there is some smudging on his face, which seems to suggest that this isn't actually a zebra. In fact, a zebra's patterns, his lines are much more consistent than what you see on this animal. Uh, the zoo owner, the guy who managed the zoo, said, no, we assure you this is a real zebra, but the jury really is still out. But believe it or not, going to a zoo and seeing a fake animal is kind of something that's been done before. There was a zoo in China that uh, was discovered recently when a, a mom took her son to the zoo. She was going to teach the son how to, uh, uh, to listen to the animals and hear the different sounds they make, right? You know, the monkey that goes hoo-hoo-ha-ha, and you know, the, the rhino goes, well, you know you know what the rhino does. And then she took him to the lion's cage, thinking that the African lion would do what a lion does. She took the kid to the cage, and she realized that there's something odd about this lion. And she said, son, I want you to pay attention to this lion here and listen to the sound that the lion makes. And the lion went, woof. <laughs> she's like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that's not what the lion is supposed to do. And so, of course, she called him out. They got in trouble. They actually, they put a, a, a uh, what they call it, a, a Siberian Mastiff. I forget the name of the dog, but if, he's a huge dog, and he's fluffy enough where you shave him just the right way, he'd look like, a, look like a lion. Good try, but they failed miserably. And the funny thing about this is that it's comical because it's so obvious. It's just like, okay, this is clearly not the animal that I was hoping for. But here's the thing. It, it might be obvious and comical, but the, the, the deceptions that are most dangerous are the ones that you don't know are there. Obviously, right? The deceptions that are the best ones are the ones that pull the wool over your eyes where you don't realize what's taking place. And that's Pastor John's concern tonight. Pastor John wants you not to be bamboozled by false Christ. He wants you not to be bamboozled by deceivers and liars, people that are seeking to undermine your faith. He wants you to be able to identify false teachers by, he gives you a couple practicalities here. Kind of like when the lion the, the cat said woof. He's going to give you some identification. Like, okay, if a cat says woof, you're not looking at a cat any longer. There's something else going on there. But as it relates to false teachers, he wants you to understand, and this is probably one of the most important things I could say to you tonight. He wants you to know that you can be deceived. You can be deceived. And in fact, uh, for some of us who, who have been around the church a long time, it's easy for us to say, well, I would never be deceived. I know who Jesus is. I know what the Bible says. But John would push back on you a little bit and say, no, you need to pay attention because there are people out there who know how to deceive really well. They sound good saying it, and you need to be on the lookout. 
You see, because last week we said actual Christianity is based on the, on the twin virtues of truth and love. Today we're going to learn that actual Christianity is founded upon the actual Christ, who is the embodiment of truth and love. And that's how you're going to know that your faith is real and that it'll stand the test of time. It is based on the real Christ. Actual Christianity is founded upon the actual Christ. And here's my concern. You have to believe, young person, you have to believe that you can be deceived. You must believe that you are vulnerable to deception. Or what will happen is you will severely underestimate your enemy. You will underestimate your opponent and you will fall prey to his deception because you won't be looking for it. You'll be oblivious. You'll go along your day not thinking about this, uh, not thinking about this and, and suddenly find yourself wondering, how did I get to the place I'm at? Why did I buy this, uh, this teaching? Why did I uh, embrace this way of life? Well, it's because you were deceived and you didn't know it. Actual Christianity is founded upon the actual Christ. Your faith depends on your ability to tell whether you're being deceived into believing a different version of Christ. So look at these first two verses as we close up this little book here together. I recognize this is my last sermon that I'll be teaching for my seniors, which I am very glad, glad that you're here. Um, and this sermon was composed with that in mind. I know that you're done, and I think I'm ending this sermon the way that I would want to if this were my last time to preach to you. So here we go. Here's what I want you to know, and here's what John helps us with. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world... Okay, now I want you to notice that word many. That means more than a few. <laughs> it means that there are a plethora, a significant number of deceivers out there who are in the world. And so he's not talking about the church yet, but he's going to get there. He's saying that you have to recognize that the world around you contains a lot of people that believe something very different, and it's false. It's, it's untrue. They're deceptive. He says, those who, and here's, here's one of the qualifiers, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Those are the kind of people, the deceivers that he's talking about. Such a one, these people who confess this, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. These people who are in the world, they're, they're spread abroad the world, are the kind of people who say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Why is that important? We'll find out, I guess, soon. We'll talk about that, if not here in the, in the sermon, in, in your small groups. But Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And he says, this is such a bad teaching that not only is the teaching wrong, but they are the deceiver and they are anti-Christ. They are so antithetical to what Christ stands for that for you to believe that teaching is to essentially give up your salvation. You are standing against Jesus Christ if you were to believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Pretty intense, Pastor John. Why, why are you so intense about that? Why does it matter so much? Well, there's several reasons for that, but notice what he says in verse 8. He says, watch yourselves. And this is the first imperative of the book. Watch yourselves. There's others that were implied, but this is the first second person plural imperative. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourself because you can be deceived. Be careful. And I don't want you to lose what we worked for. He's not saying that we worked for our salvation. He's saying, look, when you labor for Christ, as I said last week, when you please Christ Jesus, you're able to accue and accumulate rewards that will last into eternity. But when you give yourself over to false teaching, when you fall prey to these teachings, you lose those things. Why? Well, because you forfeit your salvation. If you give yourself over to this false teaching, you lose it. You lose your salvation. Not that you ever could lose it, technically. But he uses warnings like this to keep us going the right direction. 
He wants us to not be deceived. He wants us to not fall prey to these deceptions. Reminded me of a moose. You know what a moose is? We don't have very many over here, I don't think. But a moose is a massive animal. Moose can be, you know, like a thousand pounds at his shoulders. That little hump he has at the top of his back, that could be six feet tall. This dude's massive. Ladies are a little smaller, but it's a moose. What does a moose have to do with this? Well, this this lady uh, named Dorothea and her husband, uh, who live in Alaska, decided to go out to take their golden retrievers on a, on, a, on a little bit of a walk. And so they hopped into the truck, they take their golden retrievers down to a, an area where they had some room to run around. And her husband, uh, George, who's 82, lets the dogs out. And it's sub-zero temperatures here in Alaska at this point in time, so Dorothea stays in, t- in the truck. As George and the golden retrievers make their way out just a few hundred feet out, Dorothea notices some movement in the bush. And she comes to quickly realize that there is a massive moose running full steam toward George. She didn't have enough time to yell at him, but George registered pretty quickly that there was a moose coming his way. And so, being 82 years old, he turned as quickly as he could and began running toward the truck where Dorothea was sitting. As he was running, he could see in his wife's eyes that that moose was close behind. And almost as if he were saying goodbye with his eyes, he looked at her and smiled just before the moose jumped on top of him and started stomping on him and pummeling him into the snow. Dorothea is watching this event unfold before her very eyes and suddenly realizes she can do something. Dorothea is 85 years old. Not sure exactly what she could do, but... In a moment of love for her husband, she jumps out, well, maybe crawls out, (laughs) crawls out of the truck, jumps into the truck bed, grabs a shovel, and this five-foot-nothing, hundred-pound young young lady, old lady, (laughs) youngish, five-foot-nothing, hundred-pound lady takes that shovel and starts beating on that moose like it owes her money. She... (laughs) She hit that thing as hard as she could over and over again, even as that moose was pummeling her husband. Well, that moose did not know what was coming. And pretty soon, that moose realized that Dorothy was not going to stop. And so in a moment of fear, he backed up off of her husband, turned around, and the golden retrievers did the rest, scaring the moose away. Dorothea was called a hero for saving her husband's life. That old lady <laughs> did the impossible, the unthinkable. And I guess really if there's, there's several lessons in this, several lessons. But at least one of those is that the moose should never underestimate a lady who loves her husband. <laughs> at the minimum, there's a lot of lessons in here. But the moose should never underestimate an old lady's love for her husband. I don't want you to underestimate false teaching and false teachers. They may look frail and really vulnerable and unassuming. They may look in some ways like they're weak, that their false teaching and their, and their approach is something that oh, I'm not going to have to worry too much about that. I want you to be on guard and to be alert. Because even though it may appear small, weak, and insignificant, that teaching and that teacher may pack a wall up that you're, un, you're unexpected, you're not expecting. 
Point number one, I put it like this. I don't want you to underestimate the enemy. I'm not talking about a person necessarily. I'm talking about your mortal enemy, your spiritual enemy, the devil and all those who work for him. False teachers as a whole, but specifically the one who is the, the teacher, the, the father of lies, the scripture calls him. Don't underestimate him. Why? Well, as we already saw here, he has a vast army. And verse 7, the first part of it says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. And I need you to know that there are a lot of people, powerful people. In fact, the most powerful people in the world are people who subscribe to some form of false teaching about Jesus. They call him just a man. He's a good teacher, but he's a mythological man. Uh, and in fact, these powerful people have music and art and, and, and movies and policies that reflect their false teaching. It's all around you if you have eyes to see. Don't underestimate your enemy. He's got a vast army. And, and by the way, Scripture makes it clear that Christians are the minority, okay, or the true minority. The gate is narrow, and those, uh, there are few who find it. But the path is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those are the people that are in uh, lockstep with your enemy. And not only is it, does he have a vast army, but he's also very crafty. And I want, I want to make this note for you here in verse 7. He says, there's a lot of deceivers that have gone out to the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. If you're, if you're wondering what this teaching is that, that John's arguing against, it's called docetism. Docetism is the teaching that Jesus Christ only appeared to come in the flesh. And in this time frame, uh, te teachers would say that the flesh is bad, that your flesh is broken and fallen, and that's kind of true, uh, but that your flesh is inherently something evil. And therefore, for Jesus to come, he could not have adopted flesh, otherwise he would also himself be evil. And so John says, hold on a second, that's not true. Jesus did come in the flesh, and his being in the flesh did not make him evil. It's kind of a weird teaching, isn't it? And yet you wonder, how did that actually take root? People bought this. People believe this. And what, and what I want you to know about this is that the teaching was so wrong and so against Christ that John could say, this is anti-Christ. This is fully against who Christ is and what he came to do. Craftiness is part of false teaching on person. I was talking to someone recently, and I was trying to examine their worldview and say, okay, what do you believe about this? Why, why do you believe this thing about that? And un unpacking some of the things that stand behind their, their mental structures. And while uh, uh, most of you, all of you, are very smart, I think you might overestimate your intelligence. Can I say that as your pastor? I, I you know, I love you, right? I'm not saying this in a vindictive, I hate you kind of way. I think you overestimate yourself. And here's why I say that. You know, there's so much about the world around you. As you're learning, you're growing more maturely and rapidly, you are, you're being exposed to a world where you feel like, all right, I can figure things out. I know I'm tech savvy. I know more than my parents about how to use this gadget and that, that website. And in some areas, you're exceedingly brilliant and intelligent. But there's a great deal that you have yet to learn about the world around you, and more specifically about being a Christian. And this is where I'm a little concerned for you because the devil is crafty. He knows how to say things in such a way that make it sound appealing and enticing. He knows how to present things to you where it looks like, oh, this is wonderful, and yet uh, once you take the bait, so to speak, you're hooked on this false ideology. Twisting scripture. There are people, and in fact, the STM Utah crews know, knows all about this. We're studying uh, a little bit of Mormonism right now, and we're learning that uh, there are people that have taken the Bible and have interpreted it in ways that seem very intelligent, very plausible, but are antithetical. They're anti-Christ. And the only way that you're going to know is if you know 
the Word of God itself, if you know what the Scriptures say and why it says what it says. Don't underestimate your opponent. He's got a vast army. He's very crafty. And he's after nothing less than your soul. Verse 8, I said here, John says he doesn't want you to lose what you have worked for. He wants you to win a full reward. John says, watch yourselves. Keep a close watch on yourself. Don't, don't let your guard down. Be aware that there is an enemy out there who doesn't only want to confuse you, he wants to destroy you. I, I need you to understand this. As you prepare to go to college and start a new life outside of high school, or if even you're staying in high school, you're being taken back to school now, you're being reintroduced back to your friend network and there's people all around you, you need to be aware that you have a real enemy who's after your soul and he's not gonna take it easy. False teaching. False teaching has a way of doing that to you. Okay, that's the start here. Pastor John wants to now give you some direction about how to identify the false teachers. Here's what he says in the next two verses. He says this. He says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. I want to read that again because you need to hear the emphasis there. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have have God. They're not Christians. They're not saved. Whoever, to the contrast, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Don't say hi to the guy. For whoever greets him, says hi, embraces him, takes part in his wicked works. This whole section here that you're reading is John's concern for you that A, you not be deceived by false teachers, but also B, that you not support them and help them in their false teaching. The deception is so strong and so ungodly that he says, look, don't even be a part of their, their efforts because I don't want you as the church to be part of their wickedness. When I used to work the graveyard shift at, at my old company, I used to go and do... Uh, uh, there's another guy and I who used to work, you know, from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I'd go to 7-Eleven for us on occasion, you know, get a couple of snacks and drinks and things like that and come back to work and finish the night out. This was when I was, you know, in JC, junior college. And so I was cool. It was a great job because I could work all night, uh, sleep a little bit in the day, and then go to school in the afternoons. It was perfect. I loved it. And so I went to 7-Eleven to go and get some snacks for us. As I pulled up in the parking lot, there was these two guys in a, in a car with dark-tinted windows. One guy gets out, the driver gets out. I'm a little nervous. You know, it's like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. at a 7-Eleven. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to play it cool. You know, I'm from the hood. I know how to handle myself. He rolls down his window, looks my direction, I'm trying to play it cool. He gives me the head nod. You know that thing? That thing. So I did a bat, you know? <laughs> trying, to, trying to, like, I got a gun over here just to make him. <laughs> Look back at him. He says, what's up, bro? And I said, what's up? He says, you want to buy a laptop? <laughs> <laughs> I normally don't shop for laptops at 7-Eleven, but tell me more. He says, hey, man, I got some laptops here. My friend and I, we just, we found some. So I'll give you a brand new, and this is when Dells were cool. I'll give you a brand new Dell, 350 bucks. I'm nervous at this point. It's 2 or 3 a.m. in a 7-Eleven parking lot. I'm thinking, okay, 
Where do these laptops come from? Who is this guy? Can I trust him? I did just get paid. I can use a laptop. I am going to school. I'm a student. I'm a poor student. So I said, all right. Can you do 300? He's <laughs> like, all right. I'll give you 300. He says, okay. I'm going to go inside to the 7-Eleven and pull out the money from the ATM. So I go inside and my heart's pumping. Like I'm, I feel my chest just constricting and I feel my heart beating fast knowing that what I'm doing is probably not entirely legal. So <laughs> put my card in the ATM slot, put my number in there, and I punch in the 300 and whatever dollars I had to get out. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I'm like, I really want to do this. Like I already said, I, I was going to buy it. I don't want to get shot now and add to the matter. So I <laughs> took my money out, go back outside and, you know, hand him the cash, counts it in front of me and reaches into his back seat, pulls out the box, brand new box with you know, the Dell logo on it and all that stuff with a cool computer. I don't even know what the specs were. I just, I just knew it was a computer. Handed it to me, you know, all sleuth-like, like real quick and sly. So I took it, put it in, put it in my car. And then I drove back to my, my job, and my friend was there. He's like, what took you so long? I'm like, I, I bought a computer. <laughs> I said, I'm let Yeah, man, don't ask, don't ask. So he says, well, let's see it. I said, all right, all right. So I put it on my desk next to my, my work computer, and I, I popped the thing open, and there's, it's wrapped in, in, in newspaper. Okay, I guess Dell is... Dell is cutting costs. I, I applaud that. You know, they're trying to recycle. So I'm unpacking this thing, and I finally get to the heart of the content. And it was a pile of magazines. <laughs> I was scammed. I was conned. I felt so stupid. <laughs> and then I felt guilty, and I felt like I, I deserve this. I, this is what I deserve. I just spent $300 buying a pile of magazines that I don't even want to read. <laughs> and I realized that I was, I was, you know, I got exactly what I deserved. And even if I did get the computer, I knew to my, I, I was talking to myself in my head, just thinking, even if I did get a computer, I know I would have been supporting a thief, right? You don't sell laptops out of your backseat at 7-Eleven at 2 a.m. because you're doing an upstanding business deal, right? You're doing it because you got something shady going on. So I realized that even if I did get what I wanted, I would still be supporting evil and wickedness and thievery and a whole host of other things probably that I was unaware of. So I got what I deserved. I don't want to put you guys in the same spot. Number two, don't, don't support heresy. I was supporting evil. I was supporting the bad thing. I don't want you to support heresy. And yet, granted, you may not be approached by anybody at a 7-Eleven at 2 a.m., but there are other ways where you'll be approached by uh, compromising situations that will put you in a position to support things that are deceptive and evil. Now, to, to be clear here, when I say heresy, I, I mean anything that is unorthodox, false teaching that causes, uh, that causes divisions in the church or even worse, that causes someone to lose and, and depart the faith. Heresy. Things that are going to draw them away from Christ. Things that are false teaching, unorthodox. John says to, he says, look, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't even receive him in your house. Now, I know some of you are automatically thinking about who most of us are thinking about, right? You're thinking about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They show up, they knock on the door, or they ring the doorbell. Um, and if you got the ring, you're like, not interested, thanks. They, they walk away. But John is saying something, I think, different than what most of us are, are quick to think. Here's what he's essentially getting at. Look, don't support these guys with service or money. 
That's kind of what he's getting. In these days, teachers would travel to different locations and they would be put up by Christians. They'd be supported by Christians. And so for someone to receive them into their house meant that they were providing food and lodging, and, you know, they're washing their feet and doing everything they could to make sure that this teacher could keep doing what they were doing. Well, John is saying, look, when these false teachers come your way, don't even support them in that way. Don't let them in your house. Don't give them handouts. Don't feed them. Don't clothe them. Don't, don't, don't give any sense of support to them. Here's what this means for you. Now, I know a lot of you guys have uh, friends that are from different religions. Uh, some of them are, uh, you know, offshoots of Christianity, like the Mormons and J-dubs. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. It doesn't mean you can't love them. In fact, you should love them. You should be friends with them in some sense. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have them over for dinner. It doesn't mean you can't uh, be nice to them and on their birthday give them cards or find some way to show that you care about them as a person. But there needs to be a clear line in your mind where you are not in any way lending support or credibility to their false teaching. For instance, if, you're, uh, if your LDS friend puts something on their, their story that says, you know, um, I love Jesus and Jesus is awesome or something like that. You cannot in good conscience take that story and repost it. Why? Well, because in doing so, you're telling your LDS friend, look, you and I serve the same Jesus, which is not true. And then also you're promoting to everyone else who's your friend, look, I support John Doe, who's a Mormon and we're on the same page, we're on the same team and I want you all to know that. You're giving public approval and support for something that you should not I mean, that's just an easy example. But retweeting, reposting, liking, raising awareness for their cause, don't give the impression that you agree with people that you don't agree with. I admit, I was in a kind of a sticky situation just a few weeks ago. Um, and I'll elaborate on that soon. But let me just say this. When they come over to your house, they knock on your door, I'd love for you to engage a Mormon or a J-dub. Don't feel like you can't let them in. You can't. At the same time, don't give them the impression that you support or agree with them. You cannot do that. I don't, John doesn't give us any sense of saying, in fact, if they say, look, I'm on, uh, if your friends say, hey, I'm going on mission because you're graduating soon, right? I'm going to go on my mission after I graduate Laguna Hills High School. You cannot say, that's great, because it's not. They're teaching false, false doctrine, and they're, they're purveying a false Christ. But what you can say is, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. You don't have to give support, and you shouldn't give support. Um, with your service or your money. John goes on to say, if he doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive him in your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And this is what I was going to earlier. Uh, you know, I'm taking part in the wicked works of someone else if I buy stolen goods. So when it comes to supporting heresy, don't give them your service or money and don't give them your public approval. You've got to be super uh, clear on this. And I, I know uh, some of the nicest people I know are Mormons. Like they're such nice, wonderful people. And this text is not about Mormons. They're just the easiest uh, application here. Uh, you, you don't want to give the impression that you're on the same team. When we went to the Mormon war just a few weeks ago, I took a team with me. Um, and I remember one of the gals that I ran into, uh, she's like, hey, who, who are you guys? I'm like, oh, we're, uh, you know, we're a high school ministry from Compass Bible Church, and we're here to check this out. And, and the words that she said made me tremble a little bit because I'm like, ah, I didn't want to get to this place. But she said, thank you so much for supporting us. And in my conscience, I knew I, I, we're not. We're not supporting you. Um, 
I said, we're, we're, we're honored to be here, or something like that. I kind of skirted the question. I didn't, I didn't address it. Um, but I did not want her to think that we were, in fact, supporting their efforts. To the contrary, I was learning about Mormonism. We were trying to understand Mormonism, especially in our local neighborhood, in order to break it down, to destroy it, because we believe it's a false system of teaching. It's, and more specifically, it's a false system of salvation by works. If you give public approval, if you give the sense that you are on the same page, you are taking part in their wicked works. Now, let me broaden the scope here for you. Um, the Black Lives Matter campaign, which is mostly done at this point, mostly. Uh, I know back last, this time last year, the black square on your, on your Instagram feed was the thing that you were supposed to do, right? I support Black Lives Matter, so I'm going to black out my, my social media. We're going to black out all the social media to give, to give the impression and the point that, look, Black Lives Matter— and surprised, uh, you, you may not be surprised about this, but someone reached out to the True North Instagram account and says, why are you guys not posting? You ought to be ashamed. You're a church. Should you not show your support for our black and brown and all these other colors of people? You know, and I, I don't know what I responded, uh, but I know I said something to the effect of, look, I, we support what scripture teaches, that all people and all lives matter to him and they're all equal before his eyes, regardless of color, race, sex, creed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but that wasn't enough. Uh, this, this young lady uh, demanded that we post a black square in solidarity to BLM. Couldn't do that. Uh, why not? Well, because BLM, and it's no longer on their website, supported Marxism and the non-nuclear family and really everything that we could not em embrace as Christians. Can I say that Black Lives Matter with a clear conscience? Absolutely. And you should be able to say that too. We all can. But we can't say black lives matter in terms of following the organizational structure. Why? Because we don't want to take part in their wicked works. So public approval cannot come from our lips. We can't put it on our website. We can't put the hashtag BLM on our, on our, on our, our Instagram or whatever bio feeds because we don't want to give the impression that we embrace or wholeheartedly endorse all that that movement stands for. Some things, okay, great. We could say that racism is bad as it's traditionally defined. We could say that harmony and unity is good as it's traditionally defined. But we're going to say that ultimately, this only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, at least as they're looking for it. Service, money, public approval. False teaching needs to be clear in your mind. And for those who you're friends with, you could still be loving and gracious and kind, but you've got you to be willing, young person, to stand against the tide. It doesn't mean you have to be rambunctious or belligerent or angry. You don't hear me being angry, right? I'm not angry. I'm not upset. But I need you to understand that as Christian witnesses, your job in the social public square is to be an ambassador who is wise, kind, thoughtful, and also fiercely committed to truth and love. Ultimately, and I skipped this because I wanted to emphasize it. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Ultimately, heresy, false teaching is dangerous, destructive, awful because it destroys faith. Think about that. You can, let me, let me try to say it this way. You can believe things about Jesus that invalidate your faith, that render your faith null and void. What you believe about God is not inconsequential. It is determinative. What you believe about God will determine whether your faith is real or whether it is something less. And think about this. Remember, remember the context. John is saying people who don't say Christ came in the flesh, 
Christ came in the flesh. If they can't say that, they don't have faith. They don't have God. Now, you might think that Christians can be, you know, we could fight a lot about a lot of different things. But John is saying, look, if they don't say Christ came in the flesh, this matters significantly. They don't have God if they don't say that. There's a lot of things about our Christian religion and our belief system that maybe we don't need to fight about as vigorously. But hopefully what this shows you is that Christians are willing to fight, and I use that word loosely, fight, um, contend for, to use the words of James, uh, Jude, to contend for the truth. We do that in a winsome, godly, truth and love kind of way. And I hope when you hear me preach about this, you hear my tone as much as you hear my words. I, I try to give you a sense of how a Christian engages the world around us. It's not angry. It's not hostile. It's not, uh, it's not attacking the capital. It's not putting swear words on your truck with a flag that talks about our president uh, or a prior president or whatever else. We are not first and foremost Republicans. We are not first and foremost conservatives. We are not first and foremost male or female. That's significant. That's essential to our identity. But we are first and foremost what? We're in Christ. Amen. We're in Christ. That is the primary identity marker for us. And Christ is the embodiment of truth and love. And that's why it's so important that we understand as Christians, real Christianity is founded on the twin virtues of truth and love. And those twin virtues are, are found and embodied wholly and ultimately in Jesus Christ. Let's close this letter by what John says here. Pastor John, Elder John in this, is not just a right-wing Bible thumper who cares only about winning the next election. He's got better concerns. Take a look here as he closes his letter. He says this in verses 12 and 13. He says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that for the purpose of the reason I write these things, the whole desire of my heart for this church is that our joy may be complete. And then he closes out, the children of your elect sister. So another church and their members, they greet you. And he closes his letter that way. But the point I want to bring your attention to is that he writes to them in order to have the church experience fullness of joy. Psalm 1611, right? He wants a church to maximize their joy, their truth, and their love. How do they do that? Well, to, to get this last point, and again, this is my last point for my seniors, um, but all of you, I want you to hear this. If I died tonight, I'd be happy with this last point. John's purpose in this letter is to excite and, and experience love in the body of Christ. And throughout this letter, he's given us uh, hints and uh, themes that help us to develop what that means. How does our joy complete? How do we find this joy that, that John talks about? I put it like this. If we're going to experience this joy that he talks about, if we're going to uh, uh, abide or if we're going to uh, connect to the actual Christ and, and have truth and love be the defining characteristics of our church, that means we must, we must, we must, point number three, abide in Christ. And I guess I could qualify it, abide in the true Christ, the actual Christ. Um, but John's concern is that we have a fullness of joy, and that fullness of joy comes only when we abide in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the other day, I, I noticed when I was talking to my daughter, I noticed that my tone and even the words that I said sounded exactly like Kristen. I'm like, I feel like I sound like my wife right now. I'm not trying to. So I deliberately started trying to do a different tone, you know, to say different words and just vary things up. I just got, I don't know, I wasn't annoyed. It was just like, oh, that's weird. And then as I was talking with her, I was just noticing we have some of the same gestures. 
Like we say the same words and we do some of the same gestures. I have a lot more, clearly. <laughs> clearly I have a lot more. But we have the same gestures. I'm like, man, stop copying me. <laughs> Just kidding. But it was weird for me because I, I came to this realization that, I mean, they say, it, they say it all over the place, but they say that when spouses are close and the more you get to know your husband or wife as you grow old together, that you begin to look like each other. And that this thing in our brain called mirror neurons takes over and we begin to make some of the same facial gestures because we're mirroring the person across from us. Uh, we use some of the same words. We uh, employ some of the same tones and some of the, even the same volume. The volume is matched, generally speaking. It's not true for all your families, I know that, but uh, we begin to match each other. Why does this happen? Well, it happens for a very clear reason. People who abide with one another begin to be like one another. The closer you are to people, the more you begin to mimic one another. You begin to look like, sound like, act like, dress like, be like one another. It's brilliant how God designed us. But it's the same way that abiding with Christ works. We become more Christ-like. We take on more of his characteristics and his personality the more we abide with him. But this doesn't happen if you're abiding in a fake. It doesn't happen if you're abiding in a caricature of Jesus that you, that you invented in your own mind. I heard this story once about a TV set where they have bathrooms on their TV set and they brought people in to tour the set and someone had to use the bathroom. So they went to the bathroom on the set, the TV set. And let's just say after they left the bathroom, the cleanup crew had their hands full. It was not a pretty picture. Catch them on drift? Some of you don't get it, do you? Ask your leader. <laughs> the full functionality, the full effect of being in Christ comes with knowing the real Christ. And I, I want to take you here. I know uh, this is lo a long text, but John 15, verses 4 through 11, you could read with me on the screen. John's concern, okay, and this is, this is where John gets this idea of fullness of joy. Take a look, okay? Read along with me on the screen. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Young person, do you want to bear spiritual fruit? You want to look more like Jesus? It means abiding in him. Abiding, uh, dwelling with him, embracing him, taking on his personhood, taking on his words. He says this, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You get that? Disciples who are abiding in Christ bear much fruit, and those are the real disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's a massive statement, by the way. Abide in my love, young person. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, and here's the clincher, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All throughout this little book here, you have this sense of what it looks like to be a real disciple. And part of that is abiding in joy, abiding in love, and abiding specifically in Christ. Why? Well, if you want to enjoy unity, you abide in Christ. Think about the kind of effect it has, uh, that, that unity has on the body of believers like us who are united by truth and love what kind of effect that would have on all of us. 
What would your friends say who visit and they realize, I think you guys are united, man. You guys love each other. There's a real palpable experience here, the way you guys care about each other. I would love that. You want to enjoy unity? Abide in Christ. You want to enjoy protection? Abide in Christ. Jesus says in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Pastor John, the elder John, wants to guard the church against false teaching, and he knows that the only sure protection is for you to abide in Christ. Look, young person, when you go off to college, you don't have to fear losing your faith. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkness of depression or when you feel weak and vulnerable, he is your strength. If you're abiding in Christ, if your life is so connected to the vine that you're unwilling to live life without him, no matter what happens, you can trust him. The shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep has proven his love for you and he will not let you go. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. As I quote often, my, one of my favorite contemporary worship songs, he will hold me fast. It's not because I'm a good enough Christian, it's because he's a great savior. Abide in him to enjoy unity in the body of Christ, to enjoy protection in your own personal walk with Christ, and also to fill up your cup with unfailing love. John talks about love all throughout his little letter. We talked about this last week, and we could talk about it again, but let me just highlight the theme here. John is pointing to uh, one, of the, one of the essential virtues of Christianity, love, express love, and we saw that love in Jesus Christ. Have any of you guys ever, and, and I hate this, but have any of you ever took a swig of expired milk? Terrible. Le the, the, that sour, sludgy sensation in your mouth does not go away quickly. You chug it, you realize, oh, I've done messed up. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no. Okay, you done messed up. You spit it out. You're going to know I knew about that. Spit it out. Most things in your life, most things, good things in your life, have an expiration. Your parents' love for you has an expiration date. Your future wife or husband have an expiration date. Your iPhone, if you love that, has an expiration date. Everything in this life that God has given us has an expiration date, except, except him. The only thing in this life that doesn't fail, that doesn't expire, that doesn't have a, a best by date on it is him and his love for you. His unfailing love for his people is something that will persist and endure and echo throughout all eternity. That is the kind of thing that you should desire and pursue by abiding in Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here you go. Just as I have loved you, you all sort of love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Think about that. As the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. Does that not blow your mind? Think about that. The intra-Trinitarian love has been given to you. The eternal and perfect love that God the Father has for God the Son has been shared and deposited into your account. How does that even work? I don't know, but that's amazing. You should abide in Jesus, young person. Seniors, abide in Jesus, abide in him. 
to enjoy unity within the church, to enjoy protection spiritually, to receive and fill your cup up with his unfailing love, and last, to live out your purpose in life. I've said this before, and I've thought about different ways of saying this, but I can't think of a better way to say this, but you were made, you were designed, you were created to, for the purpose of, to be in right relationship with your God. This is why you were put on the planet. You were designed to be in a right relationship with God, which means this. You were designed by God to love God. You were designed by God to worship God. You were designed by God to live for the glory of God. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want fullness of joy. You want to live out the purpose for your life. Surrender and submit to King Jesus. Abide in him. Young person, you know that everyone around you right now, everyone around you at your schools is desperately searching and grasping for something that will fill their tank, that will satisfy them, that will cause them to feel like, ah, I get it. One of the ways that people do that today, of course, is uh, pursuing gender changes. I know many of your friends know about this, but l- let me just remind you, um, there are studies that show that there are grave regrets Grave regrets for those who pursue hormone changes, surgical hormone injections, surgery changes. And this particular writer on USA Today goes on and says, look, I spent eight years as a woman. I spent 40 some odd years as a man. I felt like I was a woman and I couldn't shake it, so I pursued it. And I lived as that, as that woman for eight years. And then he went back. He came to realize, he came to realize that even though he changed his body, The issue was not his body. It was his inside. It was his soul. And so he said, he came to this realization, look, I can't live this way. And by the way, I came to find out that there's a lot of people like me who are pursuing this end, thinking that they're finally getting that purpose in my life, the satisfaction, the joy that I want, only to realize that the regret is real. The regret is real. He goes on to say, you'll hear the media say regret is rare, but they are not reading my inbox, which is full of messages from transgender individuals who want the life and body back that was taken from them by cross-sex hormone surgery and living under a new identity. After detransitioning, I know the truth. What's the truth? Hormones and surgery may alter appearances, but nothing changes the immutable fact of your sex. He goes on earlier in his, his article, he talks about how inside he was tormented both before and after. There was no discernible change for him except for the outward a great lesson for you to learn. If your soul is afflicted, if you're depressed, upset, anxious, angry, worried, concerned, consumed with all these matters, know that outside doesn't fix the inside problems that you and I have. Jesus alone is the solution that is lasting and permanent. By no means am I saying that's easy. Again, today, guys, there are many deceptions that vie for your affection and your allegiance. I found out about a guy named Jesus, Jesus of Siberia. He's alive right now. Jesus of Siberia runs a church called the Last Testament. He was quoted by The Guardian in 2002. He said, it's all very complicated, but to keep things simple, yes, I am Jesus Christ. He says, I am not God, and it is a mistake to see Jesus as God, but I am the living word of God the Father. That's what he says. So he's developed a cult, a following, and by some estimates, he has upwards of 10,000 followers. 4,000 of those followers live with him in a remote part in in Russia, where they live in a commune together. 
You can imagine all sorts of the tomfoolery that goes on. One reporter was allowed in recently, within the last couple years, and so he interviewed one of his followers, and here's what she had to say. A woman named Tamriko, who worked as a lawyer in Moscow before moving here three months ago. She now works in the German house, a sort of guest house for the spiritually curious. Why don't you give me a little history of, of how you got here? When I first heard about the teacher, it was to me like this kind of thing that, wow, it's like this is the only source of all information, of all answers, and this is a real teacher of the truths about the world and so on. Sometimes something you need answers, you need just answers, answers that somebody yeah. will explain you, like everything. He will explain your life, what are you doing this, why mm -hmm. you have some problems, problems with your health, problems with your life, uh, for what purpose actually you're living. I see. And one of the things that a lot of people have said is like, oh, it's a cult, you know? It, how do you feel about that? It, it has a bad Actually, a bad I don't think anything about this. Do you know yeah. why? Because I think that if some people find that this person can help them mm -hmm. and they want to pray to this person, why not? Okay. Yeah. Why not? It's very good. Why not? Why not? It's very good. Well, I'll tell you why. Because actual Christianity is founded upon the actual Christ, who is the embodiment of truth and love. You are capable of being deceived. The way that you avoid that is by abiding in him, the one true Christ. We talk to gals like her and the 4,000 people that live with her on that commune, and we beg and pray for God to use us to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Thanks for a great year, guys. Grateful for all of you. Seniors, I am so privileged and blessed to have had you for as long as I did a full class. I mean, I've taken two classes now through all the way high, through high school, which is stoked. I'm stoked about that. I love you guys. I'll miss you guys. This is not the end of True North. This is, please come back next week. We have a Q&A, but this is the last time I'm preaching this school year. So with that said, let's give our attention and affection to King Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll go to small groups together. Mm -hmm.